At the Cryptid Keeper podcast, we love to laugh at the darkness, but we would never laugh at the rich cultures that explore it, or the unique cultural significance of the creatures explored. The jokes within are on no one but us. We encourage additional research on the subjects covered here, and hope that a comedy podcast is not your primary source of information. in the matrix yep let's be bad if i get some podcasts for the table would you have some you'll have some i know you'll have some podcasts if i get some (laughs) just the way you said like let's do it when i said do you want to start recording made me think of the john mulaney bit about the fries nowhere and val i'm gonna need you to leave that in (laughs) no actually please do no the way you said i said do you want to start recording and you said let's do it and it made me think of the john mulaney bit about the fries (laughs) okay yeah no i got the bit you were referencing it was just i didn't understand why should we get some podcasts for the table Let's do it. Let's be bad. Let's do it. Let's be bad. Let's get some podcasts. I know you'll have podcasts uh, if I get podcast. <laughs> so welcome to the Cryptid Keeper podcast, the podcast for cryptids and their keepers. That's us. And if you're listening, it's you too. I'm Alex Flanagan. And I'm Addison Peacock. And are you sure you don't want any? <laughs> we have a basket right here. You might as well. Let's be bad. Let's be bad. Let's do it. Let's have some podcast. Oh, goodness. Um, we've already done a bunch of our riffing off mic, so I think that maybe we'll just jump right in. We talked a lot about the Great British Bake Off. We talked a lot about... Uh, we did. We talked a lot about the Great British Bake Off. I have a new seasonal coffee creamer because I have phased myself out of the pumpkin spice um, because there are other autumnal flavors I want to spend time with before fall is up. Maple is good. Maple is like a nice um, armistice flavor between our two warring realms. <laughs> So maple is good. I am currently in a little bit more, in my opinion, I guess Thanksgiving-y flavor, uh, which is I have a caramel pecan going on right now. Maple isn't Thanksgiving to you? Maple to me is like the taste of November. Mm. I don't know why. That's fair. I do love maple. Mm -hmm. I used to actually put maple syrup in my coffee uh, because... I um, didn't like having to wait for the sugar to dissolve. No, maple um, syrup in coffee is amazing. Like, especially it's really delicious. good maple syrup. We actually, Andrew and I went to a Christmas market the other morning. Mm-hmm. It was so great. Oh. Um, like an artisan Christmas market with all these stands up. And there was a group of people that made just like these really, really excellent from scratch maple syrups. And we got this one that has like, it's hickory smoked maple syrup with brandy <gasps> in it. And it's amazing. Oh, that sounds nice. <laughs> yeah, I've been using it in our baking and it's so good. That sounds so nice. Mm. Oh my God. Anyway, so like in my mind, if I were to make like a, a synesthetic calendar, like October is pumpkin and November is maple and December is peppermint. That's fair. I'm not, like, super uh, down with peppermint, so for me, December has always been, like, I don't hate it, but it's not my jam, really. Mm-hmm. So for me, December's always been, like, a cinnamon nutmeg kind of thing. Oh, that's also fair. Because yeah. gingerbread men. Natch. Yeah. Um, are you ready to talk about cryptids, or are you just going to come to an episode of Great Bakes Hot Takes with No, us? no, no, no. Uh, we can talk about, like, did you want to talk about cryptids? We can do that, like, if you want I would love to talk about cryptids. Okay, I yeah. think it'll be a good fun time. I think we both have some interesting things to share on that kind of topic. And I think it'll yeah. be a good, you know, jumping off point for us to have some really interesting conversations about things that are relevant to both of us and our yeah. distinct yet mutual brands. I mean, like, maybe we could start a podcast about it. <laughs> are you saying that there are things that some sort of scream queen and an amateur folklorist <laughs> would have in common? Oh, no. 
Oh, I died. Right. Okay. Um, so, Cryptid, this week. What'd you bring me? I've brought you a fun and harmless little friend whose name I am still not 100% sure how to pronounce. I've looked it up in a few different places. Okay. And the pronunciations kind of vary, like on the audio post that I've checked out. Mm, okay. Not to mention it has some alternate spellings that would indicate to me that it would be pronounced one way and then the audio recordings don't pronounce it that way. I don't know. But basically what the... <laughs> the the bones of this thing is it's the white Ereki. Have you ever heard of it? I have not. What's its language of origin? It's a Kiwi cryptid. Okay. So it's it's from New Zealand. I just went full spelling bee kid. I but You just went what? Full spelling bee kid. Can I get the language of origin? Oh please? yeah, no, hard saying. Um, but yeah, white Ereki. Okay. And I think I can only really pronounce it correctly by trying to do a bad like Kiwi accent for a half second. But W-A-I-T-O-R-E-K-E. Or Waitareki, or Waitareti. So, there are a ton of names for this thing. And the language behind this thing's name is super fascinating. I'll get to it okay. in a, a half a second. But basically, it... Uh, do you have any guesses? Mm. A f- guesses about what the language... What it, no, behind- guesses about like what it is, what this creature is. You said kiwi, which I know means New Zealander, but it just made me mm-hmm. think of the bird. So that's like all I've got in my head is like a little fat bird, but I know that's Fair. probably not what it is. It is not actually. It is an like an otter-like creature. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of like a little beavery guy. And there's no okay. sinister motive to this. So like before we get into it, I'm not going to tell you like it's an otter that eats people or like it's a beaver that rips off the faces of children. Like it's nothing like that. It's just like a little otter guy. Aww. Okay. But the reason it's encrypted is because uh, New Zealand does not have any native land mammals. Oh, okay. None. It's just the nature of that particular landmass and the way that it originated that there are no native land mammals there, which is the reason why small flightless birds can survive there. Oh, right? yeah, that makes sense. Because if they had native land mammals, like they would have natural predators, but they don't, which is why the natural wildlife of New Zealand is so fascinating and survives in that way. So okay. this creature has been spotted like tons of times as far back as like the 1700s, um, but can't be definitively proven. So, wow. Let's talk a little bit about the name of this thing. Sounds like a cryptid to me. Yeah, tell me about the name. <laughs> sure does. So the um, the Wideriki, the origin of that name is in a lot of places um, basically attributed to Maori, right? But yeah. that's kind of a false lead. So it's easy to say like, ah, oh, yes, that sounds like an indigenous, indigenous name. And it kind of has like that generic sound to it. But it's much more likely that it's an invented name that is sort of designed to mimic that kind of sound because oh <laughs> according to a fairly comprehensive maori dictionary from 1891 that word or, or like elements of it is nowhere to be found and it's been specified as like ungrammatical in maori by a leading maori anthropologist so it's so a nonsense word it's a nonsense word yeah it's a fake maori word basically but Uh, There are some elements of it that maybe indicate where it might have come from or where people might have sort of started to latch on to this and then sort of bastardized this word over time. Yeah. So um, that first component of the word Y, W-A-I, is apparently from, and I've seen this in a couple places, but again, I don't, if if I am incorrect, somebody please tweet at me and correct me, um, is from the Maori word for water, 
just generally agreed upon. Um, why or variations thereof are a universal term for water, apparently, in Polynesian languages. And this is a citation from that same Maori dictionary from 1891. So I believe that's correct. One of the theories is that the second half of the word, tereke, mm-hmm. translates into basically roughly referring to spurs. Um, the word itself tends to mean like spear thrusts or like protrusions. Um, so it might mean like bone spurs. So it's like a water creature with like elbows and things instead of being, you know, a fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a thought that it's a South Island dialect of Terengi instead of Tereki, which then means like to disappear into the water. So like an animal that you would see on land that would then disappear into the water. Maybe it's a callback to its amphibious nature. Hard to say. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, the last thought is just that Waitareke would be, like, a Maori or New Zealand area, basically uh, approximation of a language from some different dialect. Yeah. So maybe some other travelers from a different culture referred to this thing in one way, and that word was picked up and sort of Mm -hmm. diluted through the lens of the the native language. Yeah. And something I always think about that I've seen come up before is, I know it's like slightly different, but there have been cases of things that like, like a new word was formed because somebody didn't know how to spell something somebody said and just wrote it down phonetically and got it really wrong. And then it just became a word. Dude. Yeah. I, I can attest to that because, and I think I may have mentioned this before. I am from a an area in West Virginia oh, yes. that is yes, on the so Monongahela River. <laughs> yeah, so I lived on the Monongahela River for a long time. And Monongahela is like the natural word for that river, named by, I want to say the Mingo, but I, I'm not positive on that. Um, and then when they went to naming the counties, that area got named Monongalia because they just didn't know how to spell it. So the name of the county and the name of the river are two different words, even though they're both referring to the exact same thing. Language, man. Oh, it's wild. I actually have a fun little uh, a fun little story I found out in my acting class the other day that if you are listening to this and have gone to any kind of acting school, it's going to blow your mind if you didn't already know the story. So I really just need to stick this in real quick. It's related. Mm-hmm. Um, so... If you've done uh, um, any sort of, like, formal acting training, you probably know about the idea that a scene has beats, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Beats are these, like, tonal changes or, like, these shifts within within the scene, these shifts in mm-hmm. tactic or whatever. Um, now, <laughs> I found out why we call them that, and I'm so delighted because that phrase, the use of that phrase originated during Stanislavski's initial, 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 <laughs> I can't talk initial speaking tour, of made up words yeah initial like <laughs> educational tour in the united states like when he first showed up to okay, give sure. lectures and he was of course russian given his name he probably have inferred that if you don't know who stanislavski is he's uh, one of the sort of fathers of modern modern acting method and he apparently according to this story that my acting professor repeated to us was giving his lecture and was speaking with someone referring to he, he said the beats of the scene now, he was not saying beats. He had a very thick Russian accent, and he was saying bits. Oh, that's very good. Yeah. And everyone was like, oh, beats, like, rhythmically, like, in music. And he was like, mm-hmm. what? And then they just, oh, and now that's just a thing we say. That's very good. Actually, yeah. I'll tell you, um, when I was much, much younger and I first heard beats referring to the scene, I 
got this mental image that is totally unrelated because I thought they were saying beads. Oh. And I thought it was like the bits, you know, that you string together to make like the whole piece, oh, right? Like beads like on a necklace. Anyway, that's totally different. But yeah, and then beats is what I've always assumed because I am a musician primarily. And so like that idea made a lot of sense to me. But mm-hmm. yeah, I thought beads for a long time, but bits is even funnier. <laughs> so you just like, that was like a misinterpretation of a misinterpretation. That's incredible. How many layers yeah. are we on right now? That's amazing. So many. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, as soon as uh, as soon as she did, she like she put on the Russian accent and she was like he was referring to and he, she like did a little like Stanislavski impression was like the scene is full of beats or like the beats of the scene and everyone was like, "Oh, the mm-hmm. beats." No. <laughs> Incorrect. Ah, uh, yes, the beats. <laughs> No, it just made me so happy. Beats. But she was specifically, the reason she actually like brought that up in her lecture was more uh, referring to the fact that like there, when you're studying acting method and you're studying these sort of founders of the stuff that we learn from now, that it's important to not just take everything they say verbatim at face value and just assume that to be gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and for that sure. Was just, but I just really enjoyed and I was like, I'll never get a chance to tell this anecdote on this podcast again, probably. So I need to just That's drop delightful. that really fast. So yeah, an entire like at least in America, I don't know about other countries, um, like acting method that they teach an entire like word, like piece of the vocabulary of acting training in the United States is from a misunderstood word. Which is so funny, right? Because it raises this point about language. And mm-hmm. this is basically something that I've done a total 180 on in mm-hmm. the time I've been alive on this earth, which is not long, but <laughs> long enough to do a total 180 on a thing like this that I thought was a huge part of my personality. Pull a quick U-turn. Yeah, you know, it's like when I was um, in high school and I was a very pretentious individual, <laughs> you know, I was just, I was one of those kids. Listen, whom's among us? Whom's among us? Anyway, but I've always been a language nut, obviously. I think that is apparent to anybody who talks to me for more than five minutes. But... I used to be, like, very, very adamant about, you know, like, the correct spelling of words and the correct placement of words and, like, picking the right thing when you mean it. And I remember my English teacher saying something in a lecture one time about an argument that he'd had with a friend where they basically were debating, like, whether the primary function of a language is, like, to be a rule by which to, like, dictate conversation or whether, like, the function of language is just to be understood. So, like, if you're being understood and getting your point across, you're using language correctly, right? Like, that's its mm-hmm. entire functionality. And he said something at the time that didn't really make sense to me, which was he's like, I think we were actually both on the same side of the argument. And, like, as I've come around to that now, to this idea that, like, you know, if you're saying initial, and I know what you mean, like, that's a perfectly fine word to use, right? Like, your point mm. gets across... And, you know, as a writer, there are times when I will choose different synonyms for a word because that word has a specificity to it that I need, that another word doesn't, that means roughly the same thing. But ultimately, as long as, like, you are conveying your meaning correctly, words are just a tool for you to do that. So True, which is actually something I used to be really pedantic, and I still am in certain worlds like if for example Mm -hmm. like if you're writing an academic paper for example like you should use words fault there are rules there and you should follow them it's just like that's the the nature of the medium um but i have no patience anymore for people who get really pedantic about use of the word literally like sorry language evolves and it's become a way to punctuate or not punctuate it's become a way to emphasize 
uh, when you speak. Sorry, language evolves, language changes. Shakespeare invented the word eyeball. Get over it. That's well, essentially that's where I've... the thing, right, is like that that word now has a widely understood, if you will, canonical cultural meaning to it. It has like, a colloquial that, meaning. <laughs> that word is, like, you don't have a question about whether somebody means literally when they are using it. You know. Mm-hmm. So the point of the word stands. Yeah. Exactly. Like, if someone's talking to me and they say it was so funny, I literally died. I'm not confused. I don't think that they literally died. Right, exactly. And so you say, well, did you literally die? Like, that's not a question for clarification. That's a question to elevate yourself above You just want to feel like a real smart boy. Like... Anyway, the point of all of that just is that (laughs) Wideraike is a perfectly fine term, um, but so are many of this thing's other names, which include New Zealand otter, Maori Mm. otter, New Zealand beaver, New Zealand muskrat, and New Zealand platypus. Okay, they really don't know what this thing is, huh? (laughs) Clearly none of those are the right name for this creature, which probably exists somewhere in the middle, but if those are all that you have going for you, I understand. The platypus is such a wild departure from the rest of them because... I, or rather, the platypus would change this up very much for me, because yeah. if it's a platypus, then we no longer have to reckon with the fact that there are no native land mammals there, Yeah, because it's now not there, a mammal. There is a reason for considering this thing maybe to be a platypus, and I will uh, get to that in a little bit. Okay. But first, let's talk about what this thing looks like. Yeah. Because we've talked about it being otterish, but it's definitely a bit of a departure from that. Okay, give me so. a description. Um, are you familiar with an animal called the quoll? Q-U-O-L-L. I'm about to be when I type it into Google Images. I think you will love this this friend very much. Oh, hello! Yeah, specifically the eastern quoll. Yeah. So oh my god, it quoll, looks like a um, Tasmanian devil with little, like, cute little baby deer spots. Yeah, the little baby deer spots are so good. So the spots are important because apparently this marking is something that the white reiki has. Oh. Is these like these fawn spots on it, right? Oh my god, these things are so cute. <laughs> yeah, so having that in mind, the white reiki is usually described as a small otter-like creature, uh, mm. usually about the size of a cat. <laughs> okay. So it's it's got brownish fur and um, short little legs. Mm-hmm. Most descriptions or sightings specify that the toes are not webbed, even though it's a water animal. Cute, which cute, is just cute. a thing right. to be aware of. The sightings usually take place near or in the water on the South Island of New Zealand. So specifically that location. It's not just like New Zealand Mm -hmm. in general, specifically the South Island. And it has very short fur. So similar to what you would expect from an otter. It's like, it's a a very smooth, flat laying pelt. Uh Uh-huh. So you know what so far also matches this description, including being like down with being in the water? Uh Uh-huh. Capybara. Oh, Like, they have a pretty flat-laying coat, they um, have little stubby legs, they are definitely down with being water-dwelling, they swim, they're comfortable, um, they're comfortable hanging out in, like, swamps, lakes, rivers. I know they're South American, but I'm just saying, they're bigger, I should say, since Mm -hmm. they're pretty big, but that does, that did invoke capybara for me, because non-webbed feet, but they swim, anyway. Well, very little physical evidence of the wider Reiki exists. We've got a ton of sightings, but the only real physical evidence we have is an individual named Julius von Hoest okay. claims to have obtained a wider Reiki pelt in 1868. Mm, okay. So I don't want to be <laughs> rude, but what you're telling me essentially is just that this, this man has or had a pelt from an animal with 
brown fur. Yes. Yes. The fur was brown with white spots and the toes lacked webbing. This is, as you have obviously concluded, inconclusive evidence. This is probably the- from a quoll. <laughs> probably from a quoll, yeah. Um, it's worth noting that the common brushtail possum was successfully introduced <sighs> to the area in 1858 and is now They're a widespread so pest. They're so cute. Yeah, but that animal is unspotted, so probably not that pelt. It is unspotted. It's also, when was it introduced to the area? So that animal was introduced in 1858, and there are sightings as early as 1772. See, that's what I was thinking. I was Mm -hmm. already like, that doesn't match up. Okay, perfect. Yep. The timeline doesn't match up. It's not a brushtail possum. Correct. Cool. I've cracked the case. Um, I do love brushtail possums. They look nothing like the possums we have here. <laughs> it's true. Although I love the possums we have here, too. They're just different. Let's jump over to a website called hauntedauckland.com, which is the awesome. paranormal New Zealand website, which is very good. Fabulous. I always love when a website has haunted or ghost oh, in its God, name. Oh, God, it's so good. I just really like knowing what I'm in for. So this page, Haunted Auckland, refers to the Wairiki also as the giant otter. Mm-hmm. So just... To be noted, I haven't seen that name anywhere else, and I think it's a bit reductive, but... How giant of an otter is it? Is it giant enough that I can ride on its back like it's my noble water steed? God, I wish. Yeah. So, this one, this page gives us a little bit of background on New Zealand and the wildlife of New Zealand by sort of talking about a lot of the same things I've already talked about, which is that it's believed that New Zealand didn't have any mammals when it separated from Gondwana, the supercontinent. Mm-hmm. So, okay, this is... I I didn't realize this until I was doing this research today because apparently elementary school science class failed me. But I knew about the terminology of Pangaea. Yeah. What I didn't realize is that Pangaea then separated into two other supercontinents before those separated into the continents we know today. I did not know that. Yeah. So Laurasia was like the upper and uh, western half. And then Gondwana was everything else. So... Gondwana was the supercontinent, or I guess sub-supercontinent, <laughs> that New Zealand was a part of. And so when it separated from Gondwana, the only mammals that it had were three species of bats. Okay. Cool. I'm, I'm very down However, with it. However, <laughs> there is... There is some historical evidence that states that an either otter or beaver-like animal may also have been resident there or stranded there long ago. So this is basically leading into a different theory about the Wairiki, which is that that the accounts that we have today are basically historical holdovers from a much earlier species. Okay. So, which usually we get with, like, lizards and fish and things. We haven't... I don't think we've really had a cryptid yet where it was, like... Well, we've had some apes. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. This may be a prehistoric otter friend. Oh, okay. (laughs) Which would be a kind of wild. I do like that. I love prehistoric mammals. They're fun, right? They're like the ones we have now, but so much bigger. (laughs) (laughs) But so much more rideable. Yes, exactly. All right, so the first... Uh, and this specifies the first accurate account, which I love. I think that, like, the hubris of saying that some accounts of this possibly fictional animal are more accurate than others is awesome. Anyway, the first accurate account we receive of this animal comes from the logbook of Captain Cook. Okay. When he entered Pickersgill Harbor in 1773 aboard the Resolution, he reports in his journal the sighting of a four-legged cat-sized animal with short legs and tawny-colored fur seen on shore. 
One of the mariners who also viewed the animals was of the opinion that it had a distinct jackal-like semblance, but with a bushy tail. I want a pet. <laughs> it's a good friend. When Cook queried his naturalists about this beast, which they had not observed themselves, they proposed it may have been some type of fox, or more likely one of the vessel's cats that had somehow managed to get ashore. I like the idea that this ship just had ship cats on it, because I didn't, like... That's a pretty common thing, actually, because having cats on board ships kept vermin from overpopulating the ship, getting into food stores and stuff. Ah, okay, so women were bad luck, but cats were fine. Yeah, although... What if you had a female cat? I think those are okay. Um, although I would like to just like invoke my personal, uh, my personal uh, statement of purpose in terms of how I live my life, which is just women and cats will do as they please. But ship cats were super common um, and have been for a really long time. Actually, that was just a, a an excuse to drop a thing that I like knowing about, which is just knowing about no, cool, what, what cats it. do. Yeah, they're great for keeping. Yeah. Now that you mention it, I feel like I've maybe heard that mm-hmm. before, but it didn't become relevant in any of like the pirate-centric books I read as a kid, yeah. so I guess Which I is just... pretty rude, because having a cat sidekick in your pirate book is a good choice, but... Super rude, although I did love the Brian Jakes book about um, the Flying Dutchman, mm-hmm. and that had a talking dog in it. That's fair. But yeah, <laughs> cats are great for managing vermin on board a ship. Which is great because obviously having too many vermin on the ship is a really good way to have disease and uh, have things getting into your food stores and all that stuff. So having something to eat them and also then the cats are well fed as well. Everybody wins. Cool. Little symbiotic relationship. But red cats at morning, ship mice take morning. (laughs) Or something. Yep. I do like the idea that it's a cat because I do like cats. But and and you did. S- I like the idea that it's a cat that just got loose and then started a population. Of yeah, cryptic, just cats. feral cat population. Because here's the thing. Also, there's a couple things about this that I love. One, you did say it was cat sized, mm-hmm. which tells me that this this holds up. Two, um, cats so rarely like water, but when they do swim, I think it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. I don't know why. I just laugh like a maniac. I love it so much. And three, I love. When a cryptid story involves potentially dozens, possibly hundreds of people seeing a very common animal and thinking it's something totally different that doesn't make sense. Oh, well, then you're going to love the rest of this story. Oh, boy. Okay, yeah. (laughs) So another possibility of which the naturalists and Cook himself may not have been aware is that what Cook and his crewmen may have witnessed was just one of the native dogs. (laughs) Oh, This is a species of dog that's now extinct, but was described as having shorter legs than the average dog and a very bushy tail. As there were indigenous people residing in the Pickersgill area at the time, it may have been one of their dogs that Cook viewed. And being unfamiliar with the species, it's possible Cook misidentified the animal as an entirely new species of mammal native to New Zealand shores. Oh my god! Uh, The curry, which is this species of dog, is in fact not a native of New Zealand, but arrived with the Maori when colonization Okay, spell it. I want to know what these look like, too. The curry? K-U-R-I. Oh, well, I can't find it because when I Google it, uh, you're going to like what this, you're going to like this, Alex. Um, It's a home robot. Oh. Once again, the Cryptid Keeper stumbles onto my unique intersection of brands. Dogs and robots. All right, curry this dog. This is space dogs all over Here again. Here we go. I found some uh, taxidermied. Oh, God. The taxidermy is not good. <laughs> oh, no. I love bad taxidermy. Oh, it's bad. Okay, here we go. I found some artist's renderings of what they looked like. They look 
like dogs. Um, yeah. I don't know what I expected. <laughs> it's some sort of weird beaver. But, yeah, see, I don't know how you'd see this and think it was a beaver or an otter. It looks like... <laughs> Like a ter- like a like a terrier. Um, who can say? Alright. See, that's the thing that kills me. I love it. I love that all of these people potentially just saw like a dog or saw cats for years and just couldn't just let it be a cat or a dog and were like, beaver? Platypus, <laughs> maybe? <laughs> what is this new animal? <laughs> um, well, I mean, you know how like colonizers are. That's they come true. to a place and they have to stake a claim on it somehow, so Hey, that dog you have, that's not your dog. That's my cool new otter beaver. Yeah, and they also just, there's this weird, like, exotification of new land. Oh, so yeah, So it's totally. like, they, we have dogs where we're from. I, they, could, they couldn't have dogs here. It must be. Those aren't dogs. Must be a platypus bear. Like, what? <laughs> no, it's a dog. Well, All right. <laughs> no. That was the late 1700s. The 1840s brought sightings of a beaver-like creature in the Lake Hawera district of the South Island. Okay. This animal apparently built a dam very similar in style to European beavers. Okay, so maybe just a beaver. Something about that phrasing I love so much. Like, oh, they built a dam very similar in style to the European beavers. Mm, yes, so this like, dam had Like, a... we're just analyzing the architecture yeah. of these beaver dams. The dam had flying buttresses. Like, and... Oh, no, no, no. That beaver dam is more in the style of the primitivists. This one is more in line with the European style. This is a Rococo-style dam. <laughs> oh, what's this? A modern... <laughs> this is a modern beaver dam. Just a Frank Lloyd you can tell Beaver. By the elements of straight line. Oh my god, I would die. Oh boy. Yeah, so I know that we don't know of any species of beaver native to New Zealand, but if at one point in time everything was a supercontinent, I'm willing to believe that there are some sort of genetic offshoot of beavers just hanging out. It's gonna get even sillier. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm okay with that. So in a. <laughs> in a letter to his father, Walter Mandel, the son of naturalist Gideon Mandel, mm-hmm. reported an animal the natives called a kareke, a quadruped that was the size of a cat, short-legged, and also having a bushy tail. Now I know what you're thinking, Addison. You're probably thinking that just sounds like a yes. cat. Like a cat-sized animal that's the size of a cat and has short cat legs and a bushy cat tail is probably a cat. But yeah. it also apparently laid eggs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but nothing could have prepared me for that. (laughs) This animal was apparently greatly prized by the natives and kept as pets. Although, despite that, he was not able to procure one of them. Which I... I mean, I... Fair. If some, like, guy on a ship came up to me and was like, hey, can I have your dog? I would say no. Yeah, but no. Apparently he wanted desperately to procure a hide of one of these animals. And I don't know why he didn't just want to get an animal, but... He offered a reward for one of these creatures dead or alive. Regrettably, he retained his money as a team of Maori went up into the bush to capture one, but returned empty-handed. Which, again, sounds to me like they just didn't want to give up any of their cool friends. Yeah, um, here's the thing. I don't know if you remember. (laughs) There's a comic by, uh, Simpsons artist. Oh, uh, God. (laughs) Who is, if you don't know, a very absurdist, uh, like, strange uh cartoonist i love i love love my friend the simpsons artist i love i love i love their work but there is a a a set of little individual like images that are like why i love my cat and if i'm not mistaken (laughs) there's one about the cat laying delicious warm eggs oh my gosh you're so right so this is canon this is real this is canon this is just the simpsons artist cat it's a beautiful cat that lays eggs well let's keep going down this wild path we've blazed for ourselves (laughs) 
Nature is amazing. Like, who knows? Maybe there was a cat that laid eggs. <laughs> I love egg cat. <laughs> Don't call it that. Von Host. <laughs> I'm going to call it egg cat. Von Host wrote to fellow naturalist Hochstetter in 1862 that he was thoroughly convinced that animals similar to otters were populating the South Island waterways. He had often come across tracks of a web-footed mammalian animal along the mud banks of the Ashburton River. However, the animal responsible remained elusive. A Christchurch newspaper published another otter account in 1861, which, like, this is almost in phantom kangaroo territory now, because we're just like, what if otters were real? Which is interesting. As the animal, yeah. Anyway, they published an otter account (laughs) as the animal was pursued by a dog owned by Captain McMillan. The animal retreated to the water and was lost from sight as it submerged. I am living for the mental image of this captain, like, frantically trying to call his dog off of this weird animal so they can identify it and become famous, and the dog's just gotta like, chase, nope. Gotta chase, gotta <laughs> chase. Gotta chase it. Dogs are simple <clears throat> creatures, and I love them for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty wonderful. Okay, so I'm gonna sort of speed through the rest of this. Okay. We've got more sightings coming from um, 1880, then in 1900 we got stories starting to come in from a different area of on the island of otter-like animals that were being encountered quite regularly there. Okay. There was sort of a hot spot for sightings for a while. More reports of an otter-like animal surfaced in 1939. Um, some naturalists in the area sighted an animal that they were unfamiliar with, despite their considerable knowledge. After those encounters trailed off, for a while. Um, then we got another one in 1968. Mm-hmm. Then we've got one in 1971. Okay. Persisting pretty consistently. <laughs> pretty consistently across time. Now, what I love so much about these accounts so far is that, like, I'm not even convinced these are all the same animal. <laughs> oh, they're definitely not. <laughs> like, they're definitely not, right? Because it's like, I saw a weird cat. That's like, no way. I saw a strange beaver. Like, well, those are clearly the same thing. I saw something swimming in the water that didn't have webbed feet. Well, I found a webbed footprint. <laughs> Bet those are yeah, the same right? animal. <laughs> and then somehow this has all led to, like, one conclusive track record of the wider ache, which I don't necessarily get. Yeah. Um, but it's pretty great. <clears throat> now, okay, now let me, let me hit you with this. Uh-huh. Tired? They're just like different normal animals that we're seeing wired they're all the wider achy inspired okay there are a dozen different cryptids on this island oh yes please <laughs> i like choked on my coffee as i said the word please but it's okay please. same that's a mood um yes please i i like it's been a bit since we've talked about something that is like, of course, everything is real, right? Like, magic is real, all of that stuff. Of Nash, course, yeah. But it's been a hot minute since we've talked about something that is, like, ostensibly just an animal that is. It's just, like, like there's mm-hmm. no reason why this animal would not exist. This is just a, like... Yeah, like, it, other than the fact that we can't prove that it does, there's no reason to disbelieve it. Yeah, it's... it's as opposed to, like, like no matter how skeptical you are, there's no reason to believe that there's not some sort of, like, aquatic-friendly mid-sized mammal mm-hmm. in New Zealand. Yeah. I personally would like to introduce my new theory because I think it's a little bit weird that it actually hasn't even come up. I'd like to introduce capybara into the mix of... Okay, capybara is a good one. Another yes. one that we haven't <laughs> talked about, just so you're aware of it, mm-hmm. is there is a theory that this thing is not a mammal at all, but some sort of pinniped, like a seal or a sea lion. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. It would explain... Which like, would be cute. Yeah. It would explain the smooth coat. It's, like, cute. Oh, my God. If mm-hmm. it's, like, that little, if it's cat-sized, that's, like, a really little seal. <laughs> What if they're just mermaids' cats? Cat? Oh, they're permaids. Permaids? 
I'm dead. I'm dead. I died. I'm dead. There. Uh, there. I'm gonna. I'm going to be pedantic just so people on the internet don't do this to you. I know. It would be mercats. Mer, mer is the part that means water. I know, but yeah, I wanted so. to do a pun. I know, and your pun was very good, and I loved it. Again, I'm literally just saying this so that people on the internet don't yell at you. Thank you for protecting me from the people on the internet. I appreciate it very much. <laughs> um, okay, so they're mercats, which is less fun to say. They're mercats, and I love. I'm going to go back to saying permades because I love it so much. Thank you. I actually... Thank you. I was getting almost nervous being away from magic and mysticism for so long. Uh, thank you for yeah, allowing me to... I know, I was starting to get a little uncomfortable. I was feeling uncomfortable. Thank you for letting me uh, go back into familiar waters, so to speak. And hey. I feel good. I feel better now because these are magical ocean cats. Thank they you. They are magical ocean cats and they're very important to me. And they build dams, I guess. They build dams in... And lay eggs sometimes? In the style of the European beavers. Oh, Here's well, the thing. I mean, it is... Clearly the superior style in which to emulate. Oh, uh-huh, yes. Um, it didn't specify what kind of eggs they laid. So if they're, like, mermaid cats, it it stands to reason that they would, if they are, like, part, like, fish or part aquatic, maybe they lay, like, fish eggs. And that starts to get a little weird, but... Oh, no. <laughs> Just, like, little jelly piles of cat eggs. I hate it. <laughs> would you like some cat VR? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm two for two today. You're knocking it out of the park. Yeah, this is a good friend. I feel good. People have probably turned off the show in anger by now, but I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> um, if they've listened to this much of the backlog, then they're still with us. If you are a new listener to this episode, somehow, if this um, is your first episode, thank you, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I think about that a lot. Like every episode we make is somebody's first episode, so this is probably somebody's first Hopefully. episode. I mean, yes, like presumably. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, I, I know that I don't always start podcasts from the very beginning. No, no, no. I'm just I saying like, that presumes that we're still getting new listeners every week, which I hope, but... Oh, I just... Oh, I don't even mean that we're getting new ones every week. I just mean that, like, probably, because from the amount that we have, somebody starting the show anew, if we get new listeners still, I guess, maybe we don't, but um, they're picking one at random. And so I guess maybe they wouldn't pick this one at random. They would probably pick one with a more recognizable subject, like the Flatwoods Monster or something. Probably. But, but I do still. love our weird little otter baby. Oh, I love it. Um, the mer- the Mercat? Yes, very good. I will... All right, I'll put my skeptic hat back on for a second and say it's probably likely that this is some sort of species of beaver or otter mm-hmm. that we don't know about. Yeah. But um, do... Otters have otters normally have webbed paws, though, don't they? Uh, yeah, I believe so. And see, but this is inconsistent because one of the accounts said it didn't have webbed paws, and the other one yeah. said there was a webbed so footprint. So let me hit you with this passage from unknownexplorers.com. Oh yeah, do Basically, it. what we're just gonna do is we're just gonna break down like the four main schools of thought on what this thing might be. Okay, perfect. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Tell me about them. <laughs> Naturally. So uh, we're going to decide sort of what school of Wairiki truthism we belong to. Okay. Based on several eyewitness accounts, there are, like, four main theories again. The first and most popular of which is that it's a form of river otter, right? Which is, I think, sort of the prevailing school of thought in, like, all along the board. It does make sense. Yeah, they have several physical characteristics pretty consistently, which are very otter-like. But the fact does remain that no known species of mammal is indigenous to New Zealand, so we do have to reckon with that. Mm-hmm. A second theory suggests that the Wairiki is a form of beaver, 
as some sightings indicate the presence of dam-like structures in the European style in the rivers and lakes of New Zealand. Um, again, we have to look at the fact that, like, there are no known mammals native to this area, and it's highly unlikely that any explorer or ship would have brought a creature such as the beaver with them on long voyages. You don't know that. <laughs> I like the idea that some sea captain had, like, a beaver familiar that he was very attached to and was just like, no, this is my lucky travel beaver. <laughs> the only problem with that is he had to have at least two. Ah, my beaver got loose. He had to have at least two. Oh, my two beavers got loose. Yeah, there you go. Because they had to populate the island together. Oh, no, my pregnant beaver. They were trapped in an island. <laughs> right. Trapped in an island with another beaver. Mm. But, you see, you do keep bringing up the fact that there are no known, like, land mammals in New Zealand, but that doesn't matter to me anymore, I feel like, because we're still discovering new animals all the time. Oh, so yeah, I, totally. I'm like, at a certain point, I'm like, I mean, yeah, but what do we know about New Zealand? There could definitely be stuff. I mean, for sure, yeah. And I think in that case, the idea is just that, like, it would be less likely that this would be, like, a kind of otter and more likely that it would be an animal we haven't discovered yet. Yeah, right. its own thing. Like some sort of aquatic-friendly offshoot of the qual or something. Yeah, totally. Offshoot. Which doesn't really explain <laughs> the maritime nature of our friend. But. Well, I mean, yeah, no, it doesn't. You're right. But <laughs> but it does explain the spots. So that's It does explain something. the spots. Um, I mean, what are capybara if not large water-dwelling guinea pigs? So That's also a good point. Nature is amazing. <laughs> so the third theory is that the white reiki is a possible form of pinniped, which again is like a seal or sea lion or walrus. Yeah. Those distributions are pretty worldwide, and of all the theories presented, this one seems to, if you'll pardon the pun, hold the most water. Okay, <laughs> cute. But also, <laughs> how is it building dams with its little flipper legs? Very carefully, I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> with a uh, lot of effort. But that just that one doesn't hold up for me. The argument is that um, these animals are already living along the coast of New Zealand, and if one were to find its way up the rivers and streams to a location where people may not be familiar with them, it might seem to be something new. Yeah. But it doesn't explain the four legs or the footprints, as these creatures don't have legs and they have flippers. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It wouldn't leave footprints like that, and it wouldn't have four stubby legs and a big bushy tail. Yeah. So the fourth and final theory... Mm -hmm is that the white areki is actually a sighting of some sort of, as of yet, undiscovered monotreme. And tell me what that is? A monotreme is an egg-laying mammal, like the oh, platypus. Oh, like the platypus. Got it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, some reports of the white areki do state that these creatures lay eggs, and some translations of the name may suggest the white areki had some form of bone spur, which is a feature that is present on the webbed feet of known species of monotreme. Okay. But that seems to be where the similarities end. And the similarities we have listed above are based off of sightings and no physical evidence. Right. Yeah, I don't know if it is one of those. Although, wait, how many of them? I thought that platypus were the only egg-laying mammal. Are there more? Let me see if there are types of monotreme. Monotreme may just be like a classification set up yeah, to no, totally. um, account for the fact that there might be be? But I also need to know if there are Wait, other... Wait, is the echidna... I, th I think the echidna might be. Oh my god. The echidna is a monotreme. The echidna yes. lays eggs? Yeah. Echidnas are monotreme. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. I'm losing my mind. I made it through 23 years on this earth without knowing echidnas lay eggs. Oh yeah, dog. Oh no. Okay. So, okay, uh, according to a quick sidebar, there are five living monotreme species. Okay, what are they? Tell the me. The duck-billed platypus. Uh -huh. So the duck-billed platypus. 
and four species of echidna. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're found exclusively in Australia and New Guinea. Is this maybe an echidna? May? Well, they really don't look anything like an echidna. I know, but I like echidnas, and is isn't egg-laying mammal. But they might be some sort of monotreme. Yeah, I can see that. Absolutely. Particularly- They would have to be pretty distinct from any existent monotremes, though, because they're all described, like, as having the general appearance of, like, a cat-type thing, which would mean, like, longer legs than I've seen on a platypus. Mm -hmm. Although, stubby legs, which holds up, they said stubby, which holds up more with an otter description. Mm -hmm. So maybe there's some sort of egg-laying otter? God, I don't know. That is wild, though. I don't know why I find it so troubled. Why are egg-laying mammals so troubling for me? I don't know. I don't know why. But it's yeah, I don't I know. It's a lot. It's unfamiliar. It's 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 very alien to me. I guess I associate egg laying. Yeah, with... I think the problem with it is that it's like familiar, but not familiar enough. Yeah, it's it's it, it lives in a very uncanny valley. It lives in a very weird place because it's the laying of eggs is not an unfamiliar concept. It makes sense for like right. reptiles and birds. Mm-hmm. Sure. And then when you take that and you apply it to mammals, it just is very distressing. Do echidnas have a cloaca? Oh my god. (laughs) Sorry, that was... Someone please just take an audio clip of Addison in a very troubled voice asking if echidnas have a cloaca. Oh, that's upsetting. I hate that. Yeah, I think part of, like, the, the jarringness of this is that, like, the educational model of specifically the United States, and I'm assuming it's like this in a lot of other places because this just tends to be the way we teach children and I'm fundamentally opposed to it, Mm -hmm. is that we like to teach like concepts that are simplified to the point of being wrong so that we can build on them later. Yeah. And so like when we're taught what mammals are and we're like five and we're like, what's a mammal? And they're like, well, it's an animal that gives live birth and has fur. Mm -hmm. And so then like later you get into other like upper levels of the same thing. And like that definition that you've always known your entire life and internalized for 20 years Mm -hmm. is like it has exceptions. And so those exceptions are naturally troubling to you because you've built your entire worldview on a cornerstone that's not necessarily that important, but has been very fundamental to your learning experience. And that explains why so many people are mean to hairless cats. Yes. (laughs) who are good, have done nothing wrong, and deserve love and affection because they are just cats. It's true. They've done nothing wrong ever in their life. I did. This is also a lot of sidebars today. It's because I think I, I'm like, I feel like alive again. <laughs> uh, oh, good. So I have like energy and it's just sort of bursting forth in unexpected ways. But I, uh, this is so funny. I don't think she listens to the show, but she might. We're Twitter mutuals. Um, but the host of the podcast Hollywood Crime Scene, uh, Rachel Fisher, she has uh, mm-hmm. a hairless cat. And I tweeted at her one time asking, just like, I'm curious. I was like, I've never petted a hairless cat. Like, what is what does it feel like? And she described petting her cat as like a warm suede water bottle. And I think about it all the time. Oh, no. A warm suede water bottle. That is deeply troubling. You do know that, right? I do. But I also think it sounds nice. Oh, man. That's funny. So we're just about out of time, but I do want to remind you a couple things before we leave out. No, 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 don't be sorry. Um, It's just that, like, we're we're getting to the point where we're wrapping up and I want to have time for our usual closing banter. Oh, yeah, of course. But there were two headlines that I found very important when I was researching this thing. One is an article from the Otago Daily Times in New Zealand from 2013 called Otterly Absorbed by Water Creature. Oh, that's so cute. 
Yeah, and it's a cool article. It's just about um, this guy who basically has like made his mission to talk to all these people who have, who are still living, who have seen the White Rake. Yeah. And the other one that was important to me is I found a scholarly article <gasps> from 2006 by an individual named Jim Conroy, posted to, and you will lose your mind, Give me. this page that is the IUCN Otter Specialist Group, billing themselves as the leading global otter experts. Thank God. I was wondering <laughs> who they were. Yeah, and this and this article is just the otter in New Zealand. Did such an animal exist? And it's got like an abstract and you can find the article on here and holy cow, it's great. I love it's it. It's like cited and, and peer-reviewed and everything. Oh, I it's wonderful. I love how specific research can get. It makes me so happy. Okay. Isn't it great? And then the, the last thing, the last, last thing, mm-hmm. is if you go over to Cryptomundo, which is Lauren Coleman's website. Oh, um, yes. I don't know if... I'm assuming that, like, a lot of listeners to this show are familiar with Lauren Coleman, but in case you're not, he's, like, a leading cryptozoologist and runs um an interesting Twitter account. You should follow it. And he definitely... He talks a lot about, for example, Mothman. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. As everyone should. Um, of but course. basically, uh, Lauren Coleman poses the theory that the wider Iki is related to the... And I don't love this name, but it's the name of this creature, which is the Oriental Small Clawed Otter. Mm. Yeah. He needs a he needs a rebrand, but yeah. Yeah, we got to. Um, scientific name is Amblonic Cinereus, so that's mm. pretty cool. I do like that. So that makes... I can see that. A small clawed yeah, otter. Yeah, the idea would just be that like somehow this is um, a relative or a branched evolution, like one of these ended up down here and the tree has, you know, diversified from there. But that is the wider Aki. I like him. I think he's fun. I like it. I also, like I said, it's been a bit since we've had something that could just, like, without any suspension of disbelief, just very Mm -hmm. easily be running around. Because we discover new animals all the time. It's fun. You know, I I really love the episodes where we get to take, like, a really buck wild thing that is only arguably encrypted and then, like, justify it. But I also really enjoy when we get to do these episodes where we're like, this thing is, like the textbook definition of a cryptid. It's just not, like, as wacky or fun or supernatural as some of them, but, like, straight up it's an animal, and it might not be real, so hard to say. Yeah, but, like, there is absolutely no reason why it couldn't be real. Totally. And that's fun, and that's interesting. Yeah, it's, like, the most plausible thing in the world. It just doesn't happen. Like, we just don't have proof of it. I mean, we only discovered the quokka, like, not too long ago. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't... I'm I'm fully holding out... I'm waiting to hear about this new oh, fun yeah, little guy. Oh, yeah, I am fully uh, looking forward to the day five years from now when we have to take down this episode because it's no longer a cryptid. <laughs> yeah, speaking of that, I've said it before and I'll say it again right now. I need to, I desperately want to do an episode sometime soon in the future about all the animals that were previously classified as cryptids and no longer are because they were discovered or because oh, they fun. were proven. Because there's a lot of them. Oh, yeah. I love it because I love this, like, the fact that we have to have a classification for former cryptids. You can find it, like, on the cryptids wiki. Mm-hmm. And it's I'm fun. thinking in a couple of years that this little guy will be added to the list. So I hope so, too. We'll see. Yeah. Any uh, any closing words? I hope it's a cat. I hope it's a cat. Yeah. Okay. I, I hope it's, um, I don't know. I like the mermaid cat, but I also kind of really do want just, like, a weird egg-laying otter. <laughs> I do like an egg-laying otter. A weird, otter. architecturally inclined egg-laying otter. Oh, yes, absolutely. I and I, I hope that also eventually that this guy is able to find his own style and not feel like he has to emulate the great European beaver architects anymore. Because it's okay to branch off. I think that history will look back fondly on the specific characteristics of Wideriki style dam architecture. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that there's something to be said for recognizing that you don't have to emulate um, your inspirations exactly. You can take that and you can build on it and create something new. And I hope that the wider Reiki learns to do that and uh, creates a whole new style of dam architecture. Oh, that's nice. I love dam architecture. I know so little about New Zealand. Neither of us tried to do an accent this entire time, and Which I'm not sure if I should good. try and ruin that now. Um, follow your truth, live your bliss. If it's terrible, Val can cut it out. What do they say in New Zealand? Wider Reiki. <laughs> no, like, what do they say in New Zealand? I don't know. What do they say in New Zealand? Um, see, I can't even... What do they do? Do they do anything? Do they... <laughs> what do New Zealanders do? Do you guys do anything? Did you see that? Looks like an otter over there. <laughs> but it's cool. not an otter because we don't have them here. Oh, Meek's dead. <laughs> oh, Meek's dead. Hey, Meek's dead. Oh, man. Meek, you're alive. I made the rules. I'm just doing Australian. This isn't New yeah. Zealand. It's Because di- it's different. It is different. But anyway, we acknowledge that. And it's a bad Australian, which is funny, because I actually can do Australian, but not right now, apparently. Uh, <laughs> you wouldn't know my Australian accent. She lives in Canada. It's on my reel. Okay. I'm done. If you're trying to hire me for voice acting work, please don't listen to this as an example of my dialect work. <laughs> thank you, though, to all of our listeners for sticking with us this week. And thank you so much to our friends and podcast family at the Lunar Light Studio. If you have not yet, please go check out Lunar Light Studio. You can find them online at LunarLightStudio.com or on Twitter at LunarLightHQ. We are so happy to be a part of the Lunar Light brand and looking forward to continuing that partnership well into the established future. Yeah. Thank you, as always, to you guys. Thank you to our lovely patrons on Patreon. And then thank you just to all of you who support the show in whatever way you can, be that financial or be that word of mouth or be that just listening every week when we drop this thing in your ears. It's all so appreciated and part of what keeps the show going. So thank you. Yeah, definitely. Like, we cannot overstate how much of our growth and our development has been just from people being like supportive like in that way and sharing it with friends or just in sharing it with themselves every week (laughs) or in sharing with us your thoughts and feedback we really really appreciate it on that note you can find us on patreon at the cryptid keeper you can find us on twitter at crypt keep pod we are on facebook both under our official page which is the cryptid keeper or our mm-hmm. group which is the cryptid keeper appreciation group come hang out and share memes with us um there are a lot of dog videos so i love that oh yeah also reminder that we have an email address where you can send us listener stories i got a few twitter dms recently asking about what our email address was because we forgot to mention it on recent episodes and so in lieu of continuing to answer similar DMs uh, and having to, uh, let me just reiterate that our email address is the same as our Twitter handle. It is cryptkeeppod at gmail.com. And you can reach us there. Send us listener stories. Send us pictures of your dogs. Do, Please you send know, us whatever. pictures of your dogs. Um, <laughs> we do read all of them. We don't always get back in a timely fashion, but we do read your emails. So <laughs> Absolutely. Let that be known. Let that be known. Um, as always, our music is by Andrew Giada and our audio editing is done by the stellar Vel Patron. Audio wizard Val Patron. Audio wizard Val Patron. And so... Which, like, God, what a cool name. such a good name. Do you ever just, like, listen to somebody's name and think, man, I wish I had a name that cool? My name's Addison Peacock, so no. (laughs) Fair. Okay. Fair. (laughs) That was, like, the most self-aggrandizing thing I've said in a very long time. No, it was true. It was true. All right. So, (laughs) on that note, as always, we hope we can keep you around and stay safe out there. (laughs) 